Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Andrew and I talk to experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right, well, welcome to episode 114 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. Uh, Coatsy, how's it going, buddy? Hey, Rich. Uh, awesome to be back, man. Uh, that's, I'm, I'm really enjoying back, getting back into this cadence of doing it every week. Uh, I, uh, it was a bit of a break over Christmas and obviously a big break while you, uh, while you finished up baby duties, but I feel like we're back on the roll. We are on a roll, and then even getting further up in the beginning of the week, there's been a few weeks our listeners probably wouldn't know, but um, just due to guest coordination, we've had a few where we recorded like Wednesday afternoon, and the, the show actually has to go out Thursday, so um, it's been uh, some some kind of uh, procrastinating weeks, but uh, this week we're actually getting it a little bit earlier in the week, so that's good good to do. I wonder if we could find any sort of productivity tool that might help us with this scheduling, that sort of thing. You know, you know, yeah. I, I've, there's probably something out there for it. I don't know, <laughs> Office 366 or something. Yeah, I don't know, something like that. Oh yeah, man, by the way, on the Office 365 side of things, I am loving. I, I've just my, I've just finally managed to convince my, my wife, who runs a small business, to move across to Office 365. You think that'd be the easiest sell in the world, but of course it's not. The, it's the hardest. I've just been so impressed with how simple it is to set up business essentials, to move a domain across, and then to do a whole bunch of stuff around sharing and, 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 and files. It's, it is, uh, I, I, I've known for ages it's been a great platform to develop on, but just from an end-user point of view, I'm super impressed, uh, end-user administration point of view. Uh, and, and she's impressed as well, which is probably the most important thing. Well, if you weren't like the help desk before, you definitely are now, huh? <laughs> That's Absolutely. nice. Yeah, it is Very good. Very cool. Good, good to, to eat your own dog food in, in your household, I guess. So uh, very go- Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I mean, the kids have got their own vanity, vanity domains, as, as they do nowadays. All kids have got their own vanity domains. And of course, they can just be imported straight in and, and they've now got the same access and they can have whatever email addresses they want and they can handle all that themselves. It's, it's very, very cool. You know, it's amazing. I was just thinking, like, little things like that, like a domain. I was thinking back because I sit on at any given time. I probably have, like, three dozen domains. I'll just have, like, some sort of, like, app idea or business idea, and I'll go grab the domain for 99 cents. And that's, like, that's literally what a domain will cost you, 99 cents U.S. dollars these days. Um, And and even, like, SSL certificates. Do you remember how expensive this stuff was during the dot-com boom? I mean, you're talking, like... A dot com would cost you, I don't remember, like 60 bucks or something a year. Right. So, yeah, it's a, it's a new age. So It is indeed. And I mean, and, and it's, it's you, just, you, you buy domains, as you say, just, just on a whim. It's, it's no problem. And, you know, often what, what we do for, for, for new babies in our, in our extended group is, you know, well, we'll just make sure that we've got your name.com, whatever that is, so it's ready whenever you need it. <laughs> yep. it's, it's unreal. Well, it's been we're we're at a kind of a slow start to to January for uh, just in general around the community. I guess people are still kind of getting into the swing of things. I mentioned last week that if anyone had like their New Year's resolution was to blog more, it's not showing up a whole lot, at least on the <laughs> the people that I follow. And and I'm one of those people because I uh, I did make the New Year's resolution. I was going to try to get back to blogging a little bit more, but. Uh, we did have uh, one really interesting post in the community this week, and so I just asked him to be our guest this week. So Doug Ware's on the show. Doug, welcome. 
Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm glad to hear I was the default choice. <laughs> it, that makes it sound bad, but it's not really. You were actually on our list. Uh, I was looking back. I knew we had had you at a guest before, and I went back and looked, and it was way back at episode 56. You know, I'm, I'm a weird numbers guy, and I was like, man, if we had just, if it had been 57, it would have been like exactly double. Right. You know? Or we could have done it. Could have done it two episodes ago and made it 112. Oh, I love symmetry. Uh, well, we were just a little bit off. So yeah, anyway, so Doug, for those that might not know you, why don't you give us just a quick introduction about yourself and kind of your history with you know, things like SharePoint and Office 365? Sure. Yeah. So I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I've been a member of the Microsoft community since... Windows 95 obsoleted my previous career as a DOS <laughs> Novell developer. <laughs> uh, I ran the .NET user group here in town for about 10 years. Uh, I'm a member of a nonprofit here called the Developers Association of Georgia on the board uh, with my uh, our leader, Dan Addis, who's an office server and services MVP. And, and yeah. every year we do uh, Atlanta Code Camp and SharePoint Saturday, and this weekend we have Atlanta Cloud Saturday coming cool. up. Where I'll be speaking, and I've been uh, uh, for the last many years now a uh, Office Server and Services MVP, SharePoint MVP uh, myself. And uh, you know, I just like to write about technology. And uh, oh, I guess uh, it's important probably to add I work for myself. I've got a a couple of companies here in town. Uh, one is a, a consulting company uh, that does custom development mostly. And the other one is this uh, this little dream I have called Instant Quick, which has got some uh, Office, uh, some SharePoint apps on the in the Office store uh, that I've been selling for the last few years. But Very i got to tell you, the dream of uh, kicking back on the beach, uh, making all my money through subscription services, I'm, <laughs> I'm a long way from it. Hasn't come well, true yet, right? No, we got to just keep plugging along, though, right? <laughs> so I got to ask you before we get into the details of your post. Are being from Atlanta, are you a big uh, uh, Falcons fan? Well, you know, I think I, I just realized that I am the definition of a, a fair weather fan and a band, bandwagon jumper because we've got a new stadium coming in next year. And uh, prior to this, I was like, oh, those Falcons are uh, corporate welfare writ large, right? The old stadium was only 25 years old, and they're going to tear it down and move into this new facility now. Now they're playing in the NFC Championship game, and I'm like, go Falcons! Can't wait to see the new stadium. <laughs> you know, we're go like, like that whole concept of how uh, a stadium like outlives its value in, in just like a decade or two. Like, it's amazing. I remember when I moved to, to Dallas-Fort Worth, um, the, the Rangers had just got a brand new ballpark. And I'm not going to age myself, but it was only like like maybe 15 years ago or 16 years ago. I don't remember how long ago it was, but like they just had another bond election to basically tear it down and build a whole new one. Like it, like I, can't, I can't imagine that, you know, I grew up in Houston where the Astrodome was around for, you know, like 40, 50 years. It's still there. It just, uh, they're going to turn it into parking, I think, and some sort of multi-use thing, but... Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm I'm amazed by you know how quickly these franchises want like the latest and greatest. So. Uh, I mean, prior to the George Dome, they were in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, which I think had been there so long that Sherman actually spared it on his March to the Sea during the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Anyway. But you guys guys in Atlanta did a pretty good job uh, with the Olympics in 96, I guess, and you must have got a bunch of infrastructure then, too. Uh, It's funny, you know, they're just like software developers there in the municipal engineering group. They uh, they needed more lanes for the buses, so they just narrowed them. (laughs) They they just took three feet out of every lane. But uh... Maybe that's what our... Maybe that's what our podcast software did. They're like, you know what? We need to support more guests that are on a podcast, so we'll just uh, crank down the the quality of each audio feed. And, and never mind. I won't get into that. Please, it's probably not for public ears. Anyway. It, anyway, so you know, when you were on the show uh, last time, I actually, I, I think Jeremy caught you at like maybe it was a conference, like a SP TechCon, or or I think uh, I was sitting here at home while everybody was out having fun at the Worldwide Partner Conference. Ah, okay. So I I knew it was something where Jeremy actually I wasn't a part of that interview, but I I did I did listen to it. So you guys were talking a lot about some of the work you'd done around SharePoint add-ins. Why don't like you mentioned that a little bit? What sort of things have you done around like SharePoint add-ins over the last few years? And I think that will tee up nicely into um, your latest blog post and some of the things you've been working on. Yeah, so Office 365 just cap- captured my imagination a long time ago when it was called BPOS. And I'm an early cloud adopter. I had Windows SharePoint services running on AWS EC2. Uh, it was one of like, the most popular posts on my blog for a couple of years. <laughs> I run WSS 3.0 on Amazon's EC2. Hmm. Um, and so I, I just really wanted to be there. And uh, I was working on some sandbox solutions that I was planning to sell. Uh, and then I heard about apps. And, of course, at the same time, I heard that I wasn't going to be allowed to sell my sandbox solutions through the store. So uh, I went home and cried a little bit. <laughs> um, and then decided to, you know, just uh, keep on writing. And so I ported those applications over to uh, the add-in model. And that infrastructure was is still based on Azure uh, cloud services. They call them classic cloud services now, so mm-hmm. web roles and right. web roles. And I had apps in the store since 2013. Uh, and... Uh, I've just been revving on it ever since then, trying to advance the state of the art, get better and better at it, because ultimately, uh, that's where I see both uh, the software business going and also the the systems integration business, which is a lot of the kind of work I've done over the years, uh, moving fully into the cloud. So the stuff that I have now is the fourth fourth generation, I guess, of something I started working on as a dream back in 2011. It's very cool. What it is, it's the guts of it. It's how to to, uh, be a SaaS uh, provider for Office 365 is is what I'm trying to figure out. So, so tell us a bit about that because there's a bunch of infrastructure behind the scenes there, and the one that I, you know, you obviously call out in the in the name of the the, the product itself is Azure Functions, right? But there, there must be some other stuff going on there as well. Yeah, so if you think about, you have a, a complicated app, um, and I, I should say the apps that we sell have always kind of pushed the envelope because they're they're hybrid. They they have the user interface coming from SharePoint, and the there's a back end that is provider hosted. So it's it's sort of like a SharePoint hosted app and it's sort of like a provider hosted app, but it's really both things put together. And uh, so the first thing you got to be able to do is install it. 
right. that's what we talked about a year and a half ago was this provisioning engine, which is also an open source project uh, called Instant Quick SharePoint Provisioning. Mm-hmm. And it's on GitHub in the same group where the stuff we're talking about today is. Um, so you got to be able to provision stuff the first time. you got to be able to upgrade it over time, right? Detect that somebody's running an old version and push new stuff to it. Right. Maybe you need to do licensing. Uh, you have to, if you want just one environment, you have to be able to track the uh, identity of all the different applications and the users that use the applications, right? So you've got some, some token management that you have to do. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, in our environment, we have all these uh, product-specific features that we built. Um, so, so version one and two of this kind of looked like a, this general purpose engine for running SharePoint solutions, but it also had all this domain specific stuff built into it. Um, that was the functionality of the practice management apps that we have in the store. And the reason we did that was because, you know, that's just how you built an app back in, well, probably for most people, even still today, right? You think of your server, and that's you build a web app, and that's where all the functionality goes. So we had that web app, and, uh, and then there was also a, a web role, and the web role, I'm sorry, a worker role. Mm-hmm. And the worker role was where all the long-running processes took place. So, you know, when we were updating clients, uh, you don't want to have to block the, the web server on your end, and you don't want to give them a bad experience. And so all that work always happened in the background right the, the, the whole concept of being asynchronous yeah exactly yeah. so yeah. so so we got these so we got these two things that are going on in azure cloud services and to get the sla for that means we had to run um two nodes of each thing so we're using small cores and we have uh four cores total in order to get the 99.95 percent uptime right. sla right so what this thing that we're talking about today is is Azure Functions for SharePoint. It's, an, like I said, another GitHub project. And it's the stuff that all of our apps need to do with no business logic specific to any particular application um, so that we can take that core set of functionality and just make it into a service that all the other stuff can subscribe to. That's very cool. Can we just take a step back? Because I'm not sure that all of sure. our listeners don't necess- necessarily know what Azure Functions is. So perhaps, perhaps well, a, a little bit point. of explanation about that. Yeah, that's a great point. So Azure Functions is genius. Uh, it is this uh, app service that uh, you can install on Azure that you can pay for in a couple of ways, but the, the way that makes it genius is you pay for consumption. So how many times your function executes and how long it takes to execute. And a function is just a, you know, literally a piece of functionality. They can be... C-sharp programs, they could be PowerShell scripts, they can be JavaScripts running on Node.js, but you, you pay when they run for however long they run. And they have that same 9, 9.95% uh, uptime. So, to give you an idea of the difference, that core set of functionality that we have in Azure Functions for SharePoint last month cost $0.03 cents to run <laughs> compared to $178 for the uh, cloud service. Which is still a tiny amount, but but three cents is much tinier and very very cool. The thing I love well, about yeah. it is it, it auto scales, right? So Microsoft looks after all of the, the the worrying about you know what that uptime stuff is and how many cores they need to run and how it's going to scale and how many how many cores they need to throw at it, and they just charge you for every second it runs. But it but they're not charging you for any second it doesn't. 
Right. Well, and you know uh, what is genius about Azure Functions is they're actually selling Slack capacity that other people have already purchased. Right. What it what it does, and that's why they can offer it so cheaply. It's got a supervisor that's looking at the whole Azure data center, and, and it goes, "Oh, I need to run a function. Where is there a, where is there some compute time that's not being used, and it runs it there." It, uh, it's it's super smart, and and it, it's the promise of, of cloud computing that we've been only talking about for so long. This this idea of hyperscale and the ability to to smooth out the 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 um, the amount of compute capacity you need by averaging out the the demand from everyone. And this is this is the the the, the instead of having to have in most of the time eighty percent idle capacity. Now, most of the time, you can run the thing at 20% idle capacity and, and, and you know, therefore have a fifth or a quarter of the number of, of, actual, of actual CPUs running. Oh, absolutely. And, and things that, uh, you know, background processes that you run once a day, right? Having to configure an environment just for that thing that needs, maybe it runs an hour a week. Right. This completely changes the, uh, the way you think about deploying those things and the way you think about sharing them because... And I, I can't emphasize this enough. The reason why our original architectures had these features that are in the Azure Functions baked into them was because it was convenient, and yeah. that was the only really way we could deploy them. So, so Doug, you mentioned kind of like the thought process of of, of a lot of this. Can you talk through like how you mentioned things like like background processes? What what how do you look at finding a good candidate for? an Azure function, like pulling some functionality out and, and delivering it through a function? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Rich. And I was talking uh, to uh, a few people this week trying to get my head around how to quickly explain the difference between Azure functions and, say, Docker mm-hmm. or virtual machines or, or cloud services. And I think the way you can think of Azure functions is um, best for discrete units of functionality that ideally are shared, right? So you think of the, the, the buzzword is microservices, uh, and the other buzzword is server, serverless. Now, something like uh, Docker or cloud services, there, in, in those cases, there's an environment that you have to think about or be aware of. Um, you know, you're, you're creating this uh, runtime environment from a template, and you're not really aware of what's going on on the underlying infrastructure, but you're aware of your environment. Azure Functions, um, you know, there's, if you write them right, in my opinion, they're written to not even know that they're functions. They're just code that's running with just a few pieces of input. And so um, you think about that, that's a strength, but it's also a weakness. If you wanted to build a big, complicated application that had user interface components and uh, you know, a lot of, of moving pieces, you probably wouldn't choose to compose the whole application of a bunch of functions. But if you're building SharePoint add-ins or Office add-ins, and every single one of them has three functions in common that are pretty complicated to manage the identity of your users and provision the artifacts that make up your solution uh, to a client uh, or respond to events, um, those are nice generic things that once you get out of your, your core applications, you don't have to run them anymore. Or, I'm sorry, you don't have to write them ever again. And uh, you can, and now you get this ability to create much more interesting solutions that are composed of a bunch of different parts or maybe even different tenancies. So um, an example I would give you is uh, we have a, a great customer um, 
in Pittsburgh called uh, Simplex Group, and they are an Office 365 reseller that has a VPO solution they make for construction companies. And um, they have different customers that have one-off needs to do different kinds of background processing. So one of them uh, that we did for them uh, sends emails when certain things happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So in their Azure environment, they have an Azure function, which we built, that listens to a, uh, a service bus queue. And what the service bus queue gets fed by is the Azure functions, which run in our environment and we maintain. So we have all the information about the client, the client secret, how the, how the thing's registered. We have to take care of keeping sure, making sure that's up to date and managed, which is what, you know, what we do. Um, and their system just has the very specific business logic that that add-in uh, needs, and it has really no knowledge whatsoever of how it's getting an access tokens. It just gets an access token and a bunch of data that says an item got added to a list. It's a little right. more complicated than that, or we right. wouldn't be using functions. We might be using something like Logic Apps or Flow, mm-hmm. but you get the idea. I was going to ask you about a couple of things. One is functions, um, obviously because they're discrete pieces, need some way of communicating. You kind of answered that already with, with the service bus thing. Is that, is that the only way that these things can communicate? No. Um, all of the functions that we have in Azure Functions for SharePoint actually get triggered. That's the, the term. That you, maybe you should put a trigger warning on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, but they get triggered by um, uh, HTTP requests. Okay. So, and there's three functions. One, the first one's called App Launch, and App Launch is the, just the start URL of a given SharePoint app. So when you double click on it in your SharePoint site, the Azure Functions function is the thing that gets called. Right. Um, and so it runs whenever it gets. Uh, it just receives that signal um, that uh, that has come in. It can. We, like I just said, it can be a service bus. It can watch uh, blobs changing in blob storage, or uh, uh, it can use storage queues. You can subscribe to webhooks. So you get these different ways of thing. Uh, oh, and, and I guess the most important one for a lot of uh, applications that might move over to functions easily uh, are things that are just timer-based. Right. So there's a timer trigger, and you can set up something to run uh, on Tuesday and Thursday at 1.30 a.m. And that yeah, will just trigger with, it. With a pretty simple cron, cron job, a cron expression, I think, is the, is the easiest way to do it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any tips for – and then I, I definitely want to get into some of the meat of some of the things that you've been doing with, with Azure Functions specifically and um, some more uh, around uh, what you have in your blog post. But um, I wanted to maybe leave a few things for our listeners if they're wanting to get started with Azure Functions. I know that – uh, you know, our, our podcast founder, Jeremy Thake, uh, right before he left Microsoft, he actually was uh, in charge of all the marketing for things like functions. Um, and they did some things, some uh, these little cool quick starts where you could go um, easily go and, and in just like five to 15 minutes uh, build a function and, and be able to. The cool thing is it actually test, you could actually send data through it and it would. Uh, come back and tell you whether you wrote it right or not. Is there are there other resources that you know of that you'd recommend uh, our listeners look at? Yeah, I think the first thing I would recommend is that they just go to the you know they just search for Azure Functions and find their their uh, documentation and from there um, jump over to the GitHub project where all the docs are because uh, 
they really use that pretty well, and they use the GitHub issues list of that project in a lot of cases, and mm-hmm. and, and also in user voice. But they have um, a lot of great uh, tutorials that uh, they're they're updating pretty continuously. And if you engage with their project, they'll indivi- as individuals will engage with you. They're one of the most engaged teams I've ever worked with. Um, a lot of times, if you're if you're dealing with a Microsoft machine. Trying to figure out who is what is a little hard, but uh, if you'd like to find out, say you know who <laughs> who to talk to a, a, in, in Twitter from Microsoft about Azure Functions, just tweet something about it and see who uh, retweets what you said or <laughs> likes it because uh, they're watching. Um, and uh, and I, and the, the the cool thing is that as although it's general it's general availability now and you can get it in all the data centers, um, it's still got change that's going on and they're they're figuring out um, what it is they want to do next so you know they saw that that we had this open source project uh, that we're working on and some of my blog posts and you know and they're asking what it is we want to see um, going forward in some of the areas where we're interested in actually actively looking for people to engage with so their docs are good their community has the beginnings of all the things that you'd look for in a good technical community to be strong um and it's really really very accessible because of that cool mate the other thing i had before we go into the specifics of of your implementation was one of the one of the complaints people had early on about functions was it was hard to do proper source control and um and and a decent sort of continuous deployment continuous integration pathway with it because you were often writing the functions directly into a web page somewhere that lived up in the cloud is that still the case uh it can be if you want um at the end of the day the function is uh running in an app service and when you create it you can get those same ftp deployment credentials uh, that you would get for any azure web app um, it's also stored, and, and it's actually stored in Azure Storage, so you can connect to the storage location and, and just update the files there, uh, which means you can develop in Visual Studio. You can uh, remote debug, uh, you, you know, in the server explorer. You just right-click the service and choose Attach Debugger, and you right. can debug the C-sharp script, and it'll step through the, the compiled C-sharp just like you'd expect. Uh, and uh, one of the recent improvements uh, that they made that made continuous integration kind of hard for us with our, our custom scripts was uh, we had to stop and start the service for it to unlock the assemblies, the DLLs that we were uploading. Right. Uh, now it just picks that up and it recompiles. It goes, oh, I have some files that changed, and it, it lets you uh, overwrite them, and it just recompiles. Nice. So, yeah, it is nice, but... But what, what it doesn't have yet, and uh, I know they're working on, is a really common request is support for slots. Uh, until right. until they finish that, uh, uh, deployability and, and integration will continue to be a fair criticism of it. Um, but I don't think, you know, it, it's something that I know. And I know this because I just said their GitHub project has an issues list. The support slots was originally marked as required for release. <laughs> and now they and now they've changed it to whatever the status is for working on it. So right, somebody right. owns it, they know they need it. Cool. Awesome. 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 So by the way, if people want to go and play with it, it's it's functions.azure.com is a good place to start. And there's a try it for free button down the bottom where you can actually just go and play with some of those those jobs without even setting stuff up, which is I think probably uh, what what you were talking about Rich with Jeremy's uh, Jeremy's yep. work before he left. Yep. Yeah, so they got the- a bunch of experimental hooks as well into other things. So like they've got a send grid sample sends email and uh, a, a few other things. Uh, 
yeah so uh, you're, you're right you can you can set it up and uh, actually have a running application pretty quick cool so when I'm when I read through your blog post and I didn't I haven't gone so far as to like look in the repo and start kind of really exploring things because I wanted to to leave some magic for for this podcast but um, <laughs> when I when I look at when I look at you know some of the community has done a few things around functions I know John Liu um, out of Australia and and yep. uh, even Jeremy. Uh, did a few posts on on using them, and it was kind of webhook type scenarios, like use the function as uh, a method for dealing with uh, things like webhooks with the Microsoft Graph or SharePoint um, webhooks. Um, just kind of like my take on looking at some of the things you have listed here in terms of what you're covering. In a lot of ways, it seems like some of those, I'd almost go far as to say DevOps type of activities on managing the add-ins is, is that a fair characterization and like, like maybe speak a little bit to that yeah well it's i don't know it the app itself is a key part of our devops uh, strategy something we've been working at for a long time <clears throat> excuse me and uh the the way that it fits into that strategy is to give us a way where we can in a relatively inexpensive way, offer customizations for single customers or groups of customers. Uh, because even though I feel like we're fairly sophisticated when it comes to dev apps on the, our classic solution, because it's a big monolithic application, we're just terrified to change it. And originally, the the idea was we would offer those kinds of customizations to people, but um, you know, at the end of the day, it just proved unworkable, right? I, Right. If you think about it, you got your web app and you now have 12 different customers with specific features in it. You deploy the 13th and bust customers one through four. You know, why did you do that? How did you do it? Um, so this, by taking these these really totally unsexy pieces of plumbing that all of our office add-ins and SharePoint add-ins need and just turning it into a service, um, it lets us... Uh, really be much more responsive to uh, our own needs and our customers' needs because now they're just subscribing, you know, they're just subscribing basically to the Function app as a service. Uh, and they don't have to necessarily contain the code to provision anything because the service can do that for them if we need it to. Um, and it, they don't have to manage the, the uh, authentication and identity stuff, which means that we can... Um, kind of spread these applications across lots of different things without having to leak the client IDs and secrets, right? We don't have to share those with anybody. Um, yeah, so so with this, we think it makes us much, much more nimble, um, and, uh, and that's why it's a key component to our DevOps strategy. Um, now, whether this is DevOps itself, I don't know, because if we did it right, we'll never, ever... You know, I just jinxed it off to make a change tomorrow. <laughs> but the idea is, you know, once this is stable, is to not have to change it. Right. Because no, it's cool. really easy to find what it should do. Yeah, and so, I love the idea. I love the idea of these simple little components that do one thing and one thing really well. And that, that's the essence of, the, of, 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 you know, of solid principle, right? It's that whole idea of being able to break it down into, the, into its atomic pieces. Yeah, and it's especially that nasty pointy hat. Uh, you know, by the light of the moon stuff that you want to only do once and, and simplify for yourself. Right. But SharePoint add-ins, what, what was the big drag on there? Well, there are a few various and sundry drags on their adoption 
early on, but one of them was people were like, client ID, client secret, and how do I do this, and where does it go, and just all this nasty stuff that had nothing to do with the actual thing they wanted to build. Right. Right, and and and, 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 and well, it's, it's been it's been like that for ever, ever, right? It's people have people have had to worry about stuff that they shouldn't have had to worry about uh, for for as long as you can kind of remember. And, and and the the idea that you know people like the P and P group and, and and those sorts of guys have have put together enterprise ready solutions or components that you can just slot in to do the things that that need to happen has been great. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love those guys. Um, I'm a little bit of a competitor of theirs because I have a, a, a different provisioning engine, which is much better. Much better, much better of course. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I love what they're doing, um, and I'm hoping that there will be some, some good pro- cross-pollination uh, between this the set open source stuff and their open source stuff and that we can, we can uh, do something together because the, the people I've been able to attract as contributors uh, to this so far – uh, Dan, my friend Dan Addis, another local guy named Pete Skelly, um, and a few others, uh, they're, they're sold on the pattern as much as anything else, and that's why it's exciting. So we expect to add to this um, the same sort of features for the Office, add the Microsoft Graph side of the same functions that we need. Great. Hey Doug, on the on your comment around like the confusion when we first introduced introduced OAuth type of things to to SharePoint with with add-ins, I think I think in a lot of ways Microsoft made that worse with some of the tooling. Like we tried to abstract some of that away with things like Token Helper, and then like uh, the next iteration had like a, a SharePoint client context type of helper. Like, um, and and I'm not saying that those were bad things, but just, again, I think we abstracted it away so much sometimes that when something did go wrong. Users, users in a lot of ways were were at a complete loss. Or do you like what you're doing? Does it plug back into that, or are you abstracting that away even further? Uh, I'm abstracting it away as much as as is possible. Right, you still are going to have to understand a few basic fundamental concepts to be able to use it. There's, <clears throat> you can only reduce the problem so much. Uh, but uh, we're working on uh, little things that'll go into this project. Some some templates. Uh, to help people do things, and uh, you know, I love PowerShell, so there'll be some PowerShell scripts there. So, f- for example, we don't use AppReg new um, and do all that stuff by hand, right? We have scripts for it. Um, so we'll provide some of those same scripts to be able to do it, but you'll still need to under. At the end of the day, you're still going to need to understand what an ACS client is and what a client secret is, and and some of those pieces. But uh, we'll reduce it to the smallest amount of repetitive chores possible. I think the, the aside from the complexity, the thing that really kind of maybe held people back initially with the provider-hosted apps was the way the template is written for Token Helper suggests one website per provider-hosted app that you were going to build. Mm-hmm. Right? And so people would look at it and go, oh, I have to have a new web server for every SharePoint app I want to build. Right. Because yep. the config went into the web config file. Yeah, I was always a bigger fan of the, you know, and, and it was kind of a, a, a not really well-known 
secret in a lot of ways, which was start with an existing web application and then do like convert to SharePoint app where it would, instead of starting the whole thing together where you really didn't get to pick the structure of the website, you could just take a website that might have, you know, 50 uh, add-ins in it in some sort of way and then just add manifest kind of that, that SharePoint side of it to it. But uh, we didn't we didn't really promote it that way. We really kind of promoted starting from kind of the blank template. So I, I would agree with you. I think you're spot on with that. Um, I think if uh, if I had to position this, you know, if if we took this idea and went way back in time to the beginning of uh, of SharePoint add-ins and those templates, this would be kind of the the uh, the same sort of idea that uh, what the heck were those things called the auto-hosted apps, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, the idea of an auto-hosted app was a pretty good one, right? Which is we'll just hide all that nasty infrastructure from you, and you can say here's my files and we'll handle it. But it was well, first off, it never went production. But even if it had, it was a black box, and you didn't really know what was going on inside of it, and it just didn't, you just didn't feel clean. <laughs> At least I didn't when I was if I, if I thought about using one. I don't know what the limits of this thing this thing are. But um, that's the that's it, this is the same sort of idea as that, which is to go okay. Here's a really cheap way, cheap and effective way to have an have that infrastructure that you need that you always have to need, and make it as simple as we can. Um, but I'll, but then. It's not a black box, and it's got good hooks so that the places where you do need, you know, you could have, uh, you know, an entire data center on the other end of one of these queues doing God only knows what, right? It's just, it's, oh, a list item got created? Okay, time to build a death robot, you know, (laughs) (laughs) who knows what it is, but it doesn't matter, Right. right? So one of the other things that I thought was was interesting is that... um, that you know, some of these patterns can also work with things like leveraging the Microsoft Graph, and, and SharePoint's just starting to get some of the the kind of different components in there. Um, I, I I see kind of one of the biggest challenges being like between someone that's done you know worked with OAuth with SharePoint, the ACS approach versus Azure Active Directory is. At least as it stands right now, ACS has a lot more granular permissions. You know, there are, you know, you get, you can get to some very, very, even down to like a specific list type of permission. Is that kind of the thought behind, you know, there's just a lot more that's available to there today using ACS as the kind of identity provider um, in, in the guidance that you're putting forth? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, so... Why do we use ACS? We use it because we have um, apps in the store, right? So, in, in that store, that's the default. Well, that's your that's your choice. You can use ACS or ACS. Um, but uh, I think that that really is the big the big uh, friction between Graph and uh, SharePoint. And I hope that it it gets worked out. I mean, I, I understand that under the covers, a lot of the the infrastructure logic has been unified but um, people need the sort of <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of the of the way the specific SharePoint permissions are laid out but you still need that kind of granularity and and, uh, and the graph just doesn't offer it yet so that's that's one thing <clears throat> the uh, the other thing is uh, you know if you if you're one of those uh, crazy fools like we like I am, and you 
have a lot of code base that you've been doing on the, the new, uh, well, new, the since 2013 style of client-side development, um, then you got a lot of CSOM, probably. Uh, so we, we, we watch uh, what's going on in the REST space um, and, and want to know what those APIs look like. But for SharePoint, I don't see us ever um, <laughs> moving that code to be REST just to get the same functionality. Um, right. Well, you know, one of the things that it's funny, like, I think like maybe two years ago at Ignite, um, Israel Vega and I did a provider-hosted app session. And at the time, we were working with engineering, and engineering was showing us AppReg new pages that actually would allow you to integrate with AAD directly from there. And it just never, it never happened. So I know like it, it, I kind of to what you're saying is that there was that behind the scenes that more work has been done to try to unify that and to be able to inject like a token from either identity provider into things like the SharePoint context to be able to use CSOM. But some of that just hasn't, it hasn't kind of come to fruition over the few years. So I hopefully will make more um, progress there. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, as thing more gets into the graph, hopefully we'll, we'll see that progression. Well, one of the ideas with this is that, uh, and the only reason it's not there yet is we just haven't done it, but it's in, it's in the plan, is to have the same, like I said, the same needs that this addresses for SharePoint add-ins to address for Azure AD apps, uh, for Office add-ins that are using the graph. And when we do that, we'll have a connector uh, so that if you've got two different kinds of tokens, you can uh, associate them as the same client and uh, and get them all as the thing that's going to do the work without having to deal with any of the ickiness um, <coughs> of how that connection is actually being made. And so we'll offer a, a way to um, call into a service. Uh, the idea is that you'll go into your SharePoint site and you'll say, I want to connect this Office app to it. And it'll give you a code just like, um, have you ever signed up Netflix for your Roku or some device like that? Right. Right. So you go to the website, you get a code, then you open up the other app, give it a code, and then underneath the covers, this infrastructure will handle all of that for you. Um, and then you can just fetch the tokens that you want. Now that's going to be up to you as the application developer to actually um, secure that properly. And I have this commented on a couple on the, the get access token function, which is that... Uh, you know, you should still be thinking of things like um, this, the uh, security keys, uh, IP whitelists, all those things. Um, so there's still work that you have to do and things that you've got to think about with these distributed applications. But hopefully, uh, if this is done right, the clients that are call- that are using the, the features where they get a, an access token to call an API, at the time when the mechanism for getting that access token changes, it would just change inside of the function. And, you know, that's the whole point of having it in one spot, right? So it just changed inside of the function, and now all of a sudden the client's getting a different kind of access token and may not even know it. Right, right. Very cool. So, Doug, in terms of people getting started with your stuff, we talked a little bit about getting started with the, the generic Azure function stuff, but if they want to kick off with your bits, are they jumping onto the uh, the GitHub repo and, and going from there, or are they jumping onto your your blog post and looking at the documentation? How's what's the what's the best way to kick off? Yeah, so the best way to kick off is to go to the to GitHub repo, which repo if you just search for Azure functions for SharePoint, you'll find it. And then we have um, 
a whole bunch of documentation um, that's linked to at the bottom of the page. And this is a static website um, that uh, is being hosted as uh, in Azure Blob Storage. It's just a right. blob container, a public blob yep. container. And the docs are all being generated with doc, docfx. So I want to give a mm-hmm. shout-out to the docfx team because I really love their tool cool. uh, to generate documentation. Uh, and uh, one of the contributors, uh, Pete Skelly, has been feverishly working to get uh, ARM templates and the rest of the automation uh, together so we can make the, the uh, along with some sample apps to make the, uh, the on-ramp as... Uh, easy to navigate as we possibly can do it. Uh, right now, there's just some YouTube videos that go through how to do it manually and, and we're adding those all the time. But the, the goal is, uh, by the time people hear this podcast or not long after that, that, that we're going to get that um, you know as smooth as we can make it and then just continue to, to, to iterate on that in time. Because there are a lot of moving parts, right? We, and I, I figure if, uh, if you got to go through 20 steps to set it up, that's not gonna. It's not gonna get the amount of adoption that it should. The whole point of this is to make it simple. Right. Very nice. Very cool. And I know. I know that um, you talk about this being multi-tenant, multi-add-in, and I think almost everyone can probably relate to the multi-add-in approach. But you know, having that that additional layer of of multi-tenant, so. You know, you're you're you being a consultant work with multiple customers, and this is something that certainly you can use to leverage and and help speed the you know provide more rapid development to those customers um, or like an ISV or someone else that's working with multi tenants, even some big organizations that might have multiple tenants. This is something that is kind of built around that foundation, correct? Yeah, absolutely. The you know the idea is to make it as safe as we can make it. The, the uh, simplex group that I referred to uh, previously, right? Their their client specific work is in their tenancy. So if they need to do something that's going to use tons and tons of CPU time or a tremendous amount of I/O or whatever, it's just metered. That's their Azure bill. We don't have to to manage. We don't have to to worry about them denying service to other people. Uh, we don't have to figure out how to break the pricing out because they're they're just responsible for that. So the the ability to to now build office add-ins that and SharePoint add-ins that can, you know, that's the idea is real, honest-to-God, serverless distributed solutions that are, where distributed doesn't mean in a few different places inside the data center. It means uh, wherever. I, I was talking to uh, Tobias Zimmergreen uh, earlier. I, I think I referred to that earlier when we were talking about Docker versus functions and how to uh, how to think about them differently. And I, 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 what, what we came up with was, you know, you could have a Docker container uh, that is running the actual SharePoint uh, or Office add-in that's subscribing to this function service. And that would work fine. Right. right? And that's where, that's where the cloud is moving, is, is where it just, that's what serverless really means. It doesn't mean I don't have a virtual machine or I don't have a physical server um, but I have this template that still describes the Unix operating system or Windows and all the other stuff that's going to go on. It just means here's this thing, uh, <laughs> run it somewhere, and you know have the ability to knit all that together. Yeah, cool. Very nice. Well, you mentioned uh, earlier in the show that you're going to be speaking at uh, Cloud Saturday in Atlanta this Saturday. So hopefully this this show will go out Thursday. So hopefully some of our listeners that are 
in you know in and around the Atlanta area or headed there will have an opportunity to to see you speak. Are you going to be talking specifically about this? Uh, no, I'm going to refer I'm going to refer to this uh, a little bit because I'm going to compare and contrast the cost model uh, between the, the earlier system that this came from. Uh, with this system. The the actual name of the talk is How and Why to Use Azure Functions. Awesome. And uh, I'm also going to try to throw a little bit of when not to use Azure Functions in there as well. <laughs> I don't want to pipe them too much. Um, and uh, it's it's just after lunch. We're, we're meeting at Microsoft. Uh, we have a Eventbrite that we're using for the tickets, and, and people need to buy tickets because uh, that's how we're paying for lunch. I've just uh, chucked the, a link up in the show notes. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if you listen to this on Thursday, uh, you please register. But uh, I think uh, our my uh, leader, Dan, will uh, kill me if, if this causes people to start registering Friday evening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, those, are, those are good problems to have. So. That's true. Absolutely. That's true. Yeah. So, well, we can cool. always go buy pizza. So where else where else can uh, can our listeners find you? Or do you what, what's on your plate from a uh, speaking standpoint? Where where can they find you on things like Twitter? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter. I'm Doug Ware. And my name is really easy to remember. It's that's and that's my real name too. I didn't just change it to that when I started doing software development. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a clever handle. My, uh, so I'm Doug Ware on Twitter. Um, do you have a daughter named Soft anywhere? No. Although I do have a beautiful soft daughter. Uh. My, wife, my wife would not let me name her that. I was like, what about a middle name? Nope. <laughs> my daughter's Very name good. is really software. Or software. <laughs> Very good. Um, good now, as far as speaking, man, I'm just not one of those people that, that uh, gets out of the house too much. Uh, we, uh, I'm easy to find in and about Atlanta. Um, and as soon as they invent that uh, Star Trek teleporter and I can go to space and come back down again, maybe it'll start popping up all over the place. <laughs> so, Doug, it was great to great to e-meet you or v-meet you or whatever the, the b-meet you, if it's a, a p-meet you, if it's a podcast, something like that. Great to meet you anyway. And uh, thanks for spending the time with us. I really appreciate it. And, and the stuff you're doing with uh, with functions, I think, really epitomizes the um, the way this stuff should be used. So it's a great example for people who are, who are trying to get their head around this the, the new world. Thanks. I really appreciate it. I hope that, uh, that there's at least one beginner with functions who's going to look at this project and go, you know, I really want to contribute to that and write a document. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at OfficeDev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your code on.